0: All right, good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for coming today. It's funny, this morning, uh, when I was kind of working a little bit on, on my talk today, and uh, I got was making copies, and I was debating about how many copies to make, I never think anyone's going to come. I'm always amazed. I was like, I was like, well, I'll make, I decided to make 70 copies of the handout I made, and I was like, we'll probably have like, you know, 40 left over or whatever, and so anyway, thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, we're going to open just in prayer, and I, we're just going to, I'm going to pray from Psalm 84. Some of you know that psalm, it's a very famous psalm, and it's a psalm that the Jews would pray as they went up the Temple Mount to enter the temple. Uh, Okay, so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself. Where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of Hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are the men whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools, They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield; He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in You. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. I love that psalm. It's always been one of my favorites. timer on to help me keep track. The uh, there's a couple reasons I love that psalm. But for our purposes today, let's see if I can find this. Oh, there we go. For our purposes today. <clears throat> the reason I wanted to read that psalm this morning is it's a, it's a pilgrimage psalm. And we talk about this a lot at Lords, but the Christian life is a pilgrimage. It's, it means that you and I have a place that we're going towards. And the, the Jews, three times a year, the Jews were commanded that they had to go to the temple in Jerusalem and they had to appear at three different feasts. They had to be present at Passover, at the feast of what's called booths or tabernacles. And they had to be present uh, at the feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so the, the Jews, three times a year, wherever they lived in Israel, they would walk to the temple in Jerusalem. And some of the psalms, right, the psalms are kind of the hymn book of the Jews. And some of those psalms that are written in here are uh, pilgrimage psalms. And that's what Psalm 84 is. And so the Jews are on their way to the temple. And they're building up that desire in their heart. Uh, And as they go, their hearts are longing. And I love what it says there. One day in your house, O Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So really a beautiful psalm, and it's one that really uh, relates to what we're going to talk about today, and it relates to our life as Christians, about what it means to be a Christian. So today, the basic question I want to ask you, and we'll work through this, is... What is the direction of your life? Where are you going? Lent is meant to remind us of that, and it's meant to remind us of on this pilgrimage. It's meant to reorient us, that you and I have a direction. we have a place we're headed towards. Right? The Jews were on, they would go to the temple. You and I have our own direction and our own pilgrimage. And to frame this, it's always good to start with a couple of stories. So, we're in Lent, and when when we think of Lent as Catholics, right? We always think of what are you giving up? What are you giving up for Lent? And as a priest, the pressure is always on, right? You've like got to have like the best thing you gave up better than anybody else. And, and I never do. I just gave up alcohol this year because it's good for me, and it's a really good thing. Um, but in, like in previous years, I would try to do creative things, you know. Um, one of my friends in college gave up motorized transportation because he wanted to have like the coolest penance that he had for Lent. Didn't work too well. You're <laughs> just kind of stuck. <laughs> it's true. But it's easy, it's easy for us, I think, when we think of Lent, we, that's what we tend to think of is, what are you giving up this year? And that's a good thing. and It's actually essential. We are really weak, by the way, about penances. People say to me all the time, Father Brian, I'm just not good at penance. I'm like, that's the point. Nobody's good at it. It's supposed to rub. It's supposed to be difficult. None of us are good at it. But the point isn't penance in and of itself. Uh, None of us like to do penance. It's always tough. It rubs against us. But penance is only going to make sense if we understand where we're going. The early church, and the reason I say we're so weak is, I love to read about the, the earliest Christians. And you can read about them both in the New Testament, but you can read them also in some of the really early writings that we have from the church. And we know that the earliest Christians, they fasted two days a week throughout the entire year. They fasted every Tuesday, and they fasted every Friday. And I'm like... I'm pretty close to, like, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, you know? i got two days a year. They had two days a week. I'm a total chump. But here's what I want to do. Today, what I want to do is, brothers and sisters, I want us, I want to talk about that beautiful word, and it's going to relate again to our direction as Christians in our lives, but that beautiful word, conversion. And the, the word, it's, it's, in the New Testament, we're going to start with this a little bit. The word of the New Testament is metanoia. And if you go to Lords, you've heard me say this before, probably. But meta, we know that that word meta in Greek, you hear it all the time, at least every once in a while. Meta is the word that can mean change in Greek. Right? So, um, metamorphic rock, right? Morphe is... Uh, the word in Greek for form, and meta, is to change. And so, um, meta, metamorphosis, for instance, right? You think of like, right? I'm trying to remember back to when I was like in biology, as a like kid, right? The butterfly or the caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Goes through a metamorphosis. Metamorphosis means a change of form in Greek. Meta and morphé, morphé is form, meta is change. So the word we're talking about is metanoia, and it's a weird word to translate. It's translated all kinds of different ways, depending on what Bible you have, and it's been translated different ways in the history of Christianity. So St. Jerome in the fourth century, when he translates the Bible from Greek into Latin, the New Testament, he translates that word as do penance. This is the word Jesus uses, by the way, after he goes through his trials in the desert. He comes out of the desert, and in Matthew chapter 4, he comes out and he says, repent and believe in the gospel. And the word there is metanoiete, metanoia, repent, convert. And metanoia, and here's, and here's what will launch us to this next phase. So meta is to change, and then noia is the word for your mind. Think a different way. All right, be transformed, think your mind. You need to learn to think to see life in a different way. That's metanoia. A good word for it is conversion. So, it's always good to give credit where credit is due. I didn't I should have brought the book. Basically, everything I'm going to tell you today is stolen from Pope Benedict. So I wish he were here, because he'd do a way better job, but just to let you know, none of this is from me. This is all straight from Pope Benedict, and it's taken from a book that I, it's a tough book, and so I don't really recommend it, but if you want a really challenging, if some of you have a background in theology, and you want a challenging book, it's a book called Principles of Catholic Theology, and that's basically everything we're going to talk about is taken from that this morning. So... One more story. When I was a college kid and I was going through my conversion, we call it that, right? And we'll, we'll flush that out in the next you know, half hour or so. Um, when I was going through my conversion, my, I was just on fire. Right? My heart opened up and I was starting to see the world in a new way. I was starting to think about life in a different way. My mind was going through a change. I was starting to think maybe life's about something other than what I usually think it is. And But there were still kind of parts that were just normal, Brian Larkin. And so I was in this Bible study at the University of Colorado. And it was with Focus. And Focus was very, very new then. And it was very, very small at CU. There were about 10 people who were involved in Focus total. But it was a little bit bigger at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. And once a month, they would have these kind of like our encounter nights, they would have praise and worship, I don't think they had adoration, but they had praise and worship music, and they'd have a talk, and then there's just a lot of social time. And there were girls there, and I was very excited about that. (laughs) And so my Bible study of guys, we used to drive up once a month to Greeley to go to these nights they would have. And one of my favorite stories is, is that one night we were doing that, and it was only me and my buddy Jason, who ironically is also now a priest, And we were driving. I always say it didn't go too well, (laughs) but we were driving, and we were headed towards Greeley, and we got in this one of those really deep conversations, and we just started talking about life and like what God was doing in our hearts and in our minds, and we had all kinds of questions, and and you know, you're just kind of like, what is life about? Where are we going in life? And we got in this conversation, and we, we it got so intense. That all of a sudden we realized that we were in Cheyenne. <laughs> and we had, we had completely blown past Greeley. And it's really embarrassing. I blame Father Jason. But we we got up there and we you know we had to make that decision. Are we gonna go back to Greeley? Are we gonna still go to this this night? And I actually can't even remember if we ended up going back or not. Um but here's I just thought of that story this morning. And I just wanted you to think about this. Where are you going in your life? We were headed somewhere and we just got off course. And it was a good one. It was a great night to be off course. But if you think about traveling and going somewhere in your life, where is your life going? I think in Lent, when we give up things, what it oftentimes becomes reduced to is just kind of, it's, it's almost like if you're driving somewhere, it's like, is my car running Okay. And so sometimes our penances in Lent, the things we give up, we reduce them to like, oh, okay, like I'm going to give up chocolate and maybe I'll lose two pounds. Um, I'm going to give up, like my penance this Lent, i giving up drinking. Well, I just drink too much, so it's good for me. So then maybe I'm, my life is just running a little better. And that's good. That's a good thing. But that's a little bit like having your, your oil checked in your car, Right? And your wiper, you know, fluid is full, and your car is clean and your tires are rotated, and all that. You have a well-functioning car. And here's my point, brothers and sisters. any pagan can do that. Any pagan can look at their life and say, "Gosh, something's a little off kilter. My engine's making a funny noise. I need to put some oil in the car, I need to get it, you know, kind of taken into. For, for just a tune-up. The point of Lent is not to have your car tuned. The fundamental point of Lent and of the Christian life in general is where are you going? What's the destination of your life? We were on our way to Greeley. We missed that completely. So many people, their engines are running, their cars clean, right? We all know pagans who are impressive, They have a well-oiled machine of a life, but they have no direction. They have no destination. And your penance is, brothers and sisters, if your penance is during Lent, what they're meant to do is not just to make your car run better. It's, It's great if your life runs a little better, if you're a little bit more fit, if you have better habits. Those are really important things. But it's not Christian. The Christian point is... Where are you going? Do you know the destination that your life is headed towards? So Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger, he wrote this book before he was a pope, he talks about, about two different kind of things that you and I can fall into where we miss the entire point of conversion. One of them is there's a Greek idea and there's another word for conversion. We don't need to get into it. It's epistrophane. But basically, what it means is a return into yourself. It's like, I want to go inside and I want to go deeper. And Benedict says that that just isn't Christian. Right? Inside of us can be all kinds of sinfulness and problems. And if we're really Christians, we know that really what our conversion is about is not about me, it's about someone else. It's about an encounter with something greater than me. The measure of, if, of my life is not my own perceptions. It's Him. Right? I'm striving to conform my life, not to something that I think is just merely good, but it's a conversion to Christ. So that's one false idea of conversion. It's just a turning inward to yourself. The other one that Benedict says, and he says we can really fall into this, is individual acts of repentance, which are good, right? So this oftentimes happens in the confessional, and this is a good thing, right? So, um, I don't know, I I commit some kind of sin, right? I, I realize that I've been prideful or envious or lustful or greedy, and I, re- I regret it. And I say, okay, Lord, I regret that I lusted after this woman. Grant me forgiveness. That's good. That's, a for- that's an act of repentance. But what Benedict is drawing us to, and what Jesus in the Gospels is drawing us to, and I think what I want to drive you towards this, with what remains of this Lent, is there's something bigger. Not just one act. Not just... Wow, you know, I know I did this wrong. Sometimes people will come to confession, and I, and they really mean it, and usually it's it's really sweet. Sometimes older people, they're like, Father Brian, I'm not, I don't interact with as many people as I used to, so I can't think of as many sins. And oftentimes, that that actually really is true, right? It really is true about their life. There isn't just this like, wow, like I, you know, I I don't live with my husband. Maybe he passed away, or my wife passed away, or you know, whatever it is, and so I can't say that I snapped at him or her. That's all good, but Pope Benedict is saying, what about your life in general? Do you have a direction of your life? Is your life oriented to go somewhere? That's conversion. That's metanoia. It's not just that I did one thing wrong and I'm sorry about it. It's that my whole life was going this way, and I turned To go towards him. That's what Lent's about. That's what the Christian life is about. So let's read uh, a quote from that just your first quote. There's gonna be too many quotes today. I always hope, you know, like I said, Pope Benedict, and he's just denoted as Ratzinger on the sheet. Ratzinger says everything better than I ever will. So some of these quotes are dense, but take them with you. Pray with them. Use them the rest of Lent. So, commenting on the Greek conception of metanoia, of conversion, individual acts of metanoia, conversion, remain separate acts of repentance or regret. They never combine into a single whole. A single permanent and total turning of one's whole existence Into a new way. Metanoia continues to be just repentance. It does not become conversion. And he's saying, right, that's that's not a good thing. I don't. These are rosary ones. I don't know if we have any more. John, if if you don't get one of these sheets, maybe look on with somebody. John and Brian can make copies if we ran out afterwards. If you want one. Right? So, so think about that, right? Does, does your life, it's not, and I think this is the caricature of Christianity, it's just a moralism, right? I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I should probably behave better. Again, brothers and sisters, that is not Christianity. Christianity is not just a moral system. Christianity is fundamentally, it's that my life changed and it turned toward a person. One more image of this that I think is helpful. Uh, N.T. Wright has this wonderful image I love to use. And he says, one of the things we do as modern Christians is that we make everything about us. All right, I call it um, if being a spiritual sanguine. Right? Remember the motto of the sanguine is, enough about me, what do you think about me? And we can be that in the spiritual life. We can say, God, enough about me, what do you think about me, right? And we make make all of Christianity, everything is about us. And so N.T. Wright says, it's kind of like, imagine before Copernicus, when the world thought that the sun revolved around the earth. And he says, so many of us That's what we have made Christianity, is that if God's the the sun in that image, and we're the earth, we make the sun rotate around us. Is that your life? Is your life the story? Is is everything, your day-to-day life and the story of your life, is it really about you? And N.T. Wright says, if that's the case, you need to go through a Copernican revolution. Where you you actually understand that your story is not the story. Right? That you are privileged, and I'm privileged to have a little role in the story, which is his story. Okay, one more quote here. Man is oriented, right? What does it mean to be oriented? Oriented means to turn a direction, right? Uh, Man is oriented not to the innermost depths of his own being, right? The place that you and I find truth, brothers and sisters, is not primarily inside ourselves. Man is oriented not to the innermost depths of his own being, but to the God who comes to him from without, to the thou who reveals himself to him and in doing so redeems him. Thus, metanoia, again conversion, is synonymous with obedience and faith. Conversion is not a feeling merely. It's a turning. It's that my life is going this direction, and when I turn to Christ, and how do we do that? Well, very simply, brothers and sisters, is when you see something so beautiful, that your heart begins to take a different direction. And when we love, when we love Christ, the natural movement, right, the most natural thing on earth is to surrender my life, which means obedience and faith. It means that fundamentally the way I live day by day is in relation to him. From this fact, it is immediately clear that metanoia, conversion, is not just any Christian attitude, but the fundamental Christian act per se. Understood admittedly from a very definite perspective, that of transformation, conversion, renewal, and change. To be a Christian, one must change not just in some particular area, but with, without reservation, even to the innermost depths of one's being. To be a Christian doesn't mean I have one area of my moral life, that when I fix that, I'm a good Christian. To be a Christian means that Jesus Christ is the center of my life. And day by day, what, what, the way I live is I walk towards him. And, so, and as we walk towards him, right, we might have, we should grow in those individual areas of, of morality, but most of us struggle, right? There's one, maybe one area of my life isn't fully there yet, or another, or maybe, you know, if you're like me, maybe you feel like 20 areas of your moral life are not fully there yet, but you're fundamentally on your way towards Christ. That's conversion. If you don't get that, and and think about this briefly, we're not here today to to think about the world. We're here to talk about you. Where is your life, where is your heart, where is your soul in relation to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? But because you and I have gotten this wrong, and because the church and Christians in general that we failed to really convey this, This is one of the many reasons that we live in this world where no one thinks any religion is different from any other. Because if Christianity is just about having a moral life and a moral checkbox, guess what? A Buddhist can say the same thing. A Hindu can say the same thing. A Muslim can say the same thing. An atheist can say the same thing. And if you watch the media a lot of times... They'll use that argument. They'll say, Oh, these Christians, they just think they think you can't be a good person without being a Christian, and they say that's just not true. And they're right. Right? I can't stand Christians. No, just kidding. Lots of people, anybody can live a good moral life. That's not what it means to be a Christian. Only when our good moral life is understood as there is a God who is truth, goodness, and beauty himself. And the reason I live a good life, right, the reason I try to overcome my greed and my envy and my vanity and my lust and my hatreds, is not because they're just wrong in themselves. It's because I've seen God. I encountered him. And I know that that's the direction, right? That's that's the place my life is going, is towards Him. Now, here's and here's the hard part. So, next quote from Ratzinger here. After his conversion, the Christian cannot simply jettison his readiness to change. It's so, right, and and this and not to, again, I, always, I never mean to pick on Protestants, but some of them, this is where they get it wrong. As they say, it's this one-time one thing where I, okay, I converted in the past, and now it's all done, and now I'm saved, and everything's set. Anyone who's tried to live the Christian life knows that that's not how the human heart works. There's temptations as you follow Christ to always turn back to yourself. Father Glenn, the rector of the seminary, when you make your vow of <clears throat> celibacy as a deacon, he would it's it's this very powerful moment, just like a wedding. A wedding is so powerful because people give away their lives. And what Father Glenn would always say is he, he would grab me, he's like, Lurkin, I'm so proud of you. You just gave your life away to Christ. Don't spend the next 50 years trying to get it back. It's a great line, isn't it? <laughs> Or there's, there's always the line that people say um, in Romans chapter 12, St. Paul tells us that you and I are supposed to be living sacrifices, right? We're supposed to give our life away to sacrifice our life out of love. But it's a living sacrifice. And when people always say, you know the problem with a living sacrifice? A living sacrifice keeps one always wants to crawl off the altar. Right? <laughs> you have to keep going through conversion. Okay, so... After his conversion, the Christian cannot simply jettison his readiness to change, his metanoia, as a burden belonging to the past. And I I don't know how else to say this except to say, I don't know if if anything rings more true to my experience than that line. My heart is prone to sin. My heart is prone to turn back on itself. It's turned it it has a tendency to always make things about me. And if you've tr- been trying to live the Christian life, I know that you know that's true of you as well. There will remain in him the conflict of two opposing forces of gravity. The gravitational pull of interest of egoism and the gravitational pull of truth and love. I didn't put this on your sheet, but Romans chapter 7, if you want a good chapter on this, Paul spends an entire chapter in Romans 7 talking about this reality. And let me just turn there real quick. He says, so starting in verse 13, is this section, but I'll skip a little bit ahead. He says, I do, in verse 15, he says, I do not understand my own actions. you ever feel that way? You're like, gosh, I just don't know why I did that. So I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. Don't you wish it was just easier? You're like, you love Jesus, and you say, Lord, I don't know why, I just can't seem to forgive this person. I don't know why I judge Father Brian in my heart every weekend. I don't know why I, you know, I don't know why I snap at people. I don't know why I do this. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And Paul goes on and on, and I'll I'll leave that to your reading in Romans chapter 7. But this is what Benedict's talking about, Cardinal Ranzinger. Inside of me, there's a war going on. There's an absolute war going on. And the most dangerous thing that you can have, like some of us feel bad. We're like, I feel like I should just overcome this battle. I can't believe there's still this battle in me. The most dangerous thing is not that there's a battle inside of you. The dangerous thing is if you don't think there is a battle in you. If you think everything's fine and there's, you know, I'm just kind of sailing through life, something's wrong. You have not been awoken to the spiritual battle inside of me. Yes, of course, there's good. Right, fundamentally in my heart, in my life, like I want to be holy. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be more selfless. I want to be someone who pours out his life for others. Right, I want to be chaste and uh, humble and someone whose fundamental reality is gazing on God and others and not about me. And I love that. And I also really, really love myself, right? And I really, like last night, if you guys had the Tillamook, you know I always go to ice cream. I can't have alcohol during Lent, so I've resorted to Tillamook. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) If you have not had their ice cream sandwiches, they're kind of expensive, but they are amazing. I, had, I hosted a dinner the other night. I was like, oh, I need some kind of dessert. So I was like, I'm just going to get ice cream sandwiches, and nobody ate them. And I was like, yes, <laughs> right? And they are, they're incredible. But anyway, that's not a big deal, but I, that's just in me, right? There's just part of me that's just about me. That's, that's what Pope Benedict Cardinal Ratzinger is talking about. So again, we're in the middle of that third quote from the top. There will remain in him the conflict of two opposing forces. There's two things inside of me. There is a love of God and there is a love of myself. And not the, not the kind of healthy love of self, but the, the evil, I am everything love of self the gravitational pull of interest, egoism, of and then the other of truth and love. The first is always the one most natural to him, right? The, the selfish love. It points, as it were, to the more plausible way of acting. The second, on the other hand, will continue to exist in him only if he repeatedly rejects the gravitational pull of self-interest in favor of that truth. Now I'm going to stop with that quote right there, but... Right, so, so Ratzinger says the only way the other one's going to remain in you, the only way that other love, that other gravitational pull, is if you deny yourself. Jesus says in the gospel, if anyone would be my diso- disciple, let him take up his cross daily and come after me. That's what he's talking about. Do you want to be a Christian? It's not something that just it did happen at your baptism, but it didn't just happen that. It has to happen over and over and over. Okay. I always am overly optimistic about what I can cover in my time. So let's, let's read the quote from Origin. And, and again, brothers and sisters, what I hope to do this time, you know, Lent is not just about, the church gives it to us as a gift. It's not just an obligation. It's a gift to you. And the church, and people will come to me and they'll say, oh, Father Brian, I, I mess up on my Lent and penance. And I understand that happens. And, and yeah, well, pick yourself up. But just remember, it's not about the penance. The penance is good, but it's a help to say, is my heart about you? Jesus, My the normal thing that happens in my life day by day is I forget that my life is not about being efficient. It's not about having a nice house. It's not about having a big bank account. It's not about pleasure or power or comfort. And I forget that every day. And when, so when you give up something, right? When you're When you do a penance or you repent of a sin, is it so your car runs better? Right? That your life is operating on all cylinders? Or is it because the entire reason you were created is for communion with God? I don't know if it's just because I'm, you know... I'm pretty soon going to be jettisoning or exiting the the 30s, and so but but I'm, I think a lot about midlife crises sometimes in terms of the Christian life, and I'm pretty convinced of this. I, I think the whole reason mi- a midlife crisis happens to people is they work their tails off, and they work their tails off to make sure their car's running right. They develop good habits. They get ahead at work. They hope to marry the right person. They try to get their kids to have good habits and to teach them what's right. And they have all these, like, little good things. But at a certain point, you you get to an age in life and you say, but is there an ultimate purpose? Yeah, we had a great vacation last year in Hawaii, and I really like my new BMW, and People at work love my hair, right? I don't know, whatever it is. But at a certain point you say, is there something more? Yes, there is. <laughs> but most people don't know that. And so, if you, if you mess up the little things, brothers and sisters, right? It's not that they're unimportant, but, you, but if you have faith, if you have conversion, if you have metanoia, it's okay. Because you know that fundamentally your life is going towards him. So origin in the middle of the front page, quoting John the Baptist prepare the way of the Lord. What way of the Lord should we prepare? a bodily way, but is it even possible for the Word of God? By the way, when we hear Word of God, and again, we live in a Protestant culture where Word of God means the Bible, that's not what that means for origin. The Word of God and the reason it's in all caps is not that it's the Bible, the Word of God is Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God. Is it even possible for the word of God to travel along such a route? Is it not an internal road to be prepared for the Lord? And straight and even paths built up in our heart. This is the way by which came in the word of God. And I love this. Which dwells in the capacity of the human heart. Great and spacious is the human heart, incapable of holding a great deal if only it is clean. Love that line. Right, so brothers and sisters, what's Len about? Fixing your life, and all of us need to fix our lives. And we have to do it over and over and over again. We have to work on our hearts. But one of the dangers we have is that we get our car all, we get an oil change and new tires and it's clean and everything's running smoothly, but we have nowhere to go. We don't have any direction. And, then, and, and if you don't know where you're going, all that work you did on your car is pointless. A car is a vehicle to get you somewhere. Your penances are a vehicle to get you somewhere. And so Lent isn't about your penance. It's Your penance helps. Your penance is about Him. And I want to kind of close with this because I didn't even tell you all this. I'm going to ask your prayers today. Um, we had to kind of rearrange the schedule. We started earlier. My apologies for that. One of my best friends, Father Matt Book, he's the pastor of Light of the World, his father died this week. And Matt's an only child, and we're our brotherhood of priests is his family. His mom is, is still alive, but his, the, Terry's funeral is at 10 a.m. this morning, so that's why we rearrange things, because I have to be there. I can't miss that. So I apologize for that, but it's necessary.
1: But here's what, here's what I
0: want to leave you with. Why, why is it this way? Why are, are we trying to reorient our lives? Because, brothers and sisters, what it means to be a Christian is, is about the Trinity. It's about the Trinity. And so, what I mean by that is this, is that Jesus His entire life is not about him. His life is always, he only understands himself. And if you read the gospel, this is a wonderful thing to do. If you want a wonderful thing to do with the rest of Lent, pick up the gospel of John or any of them. We're in in year B this year, so the, the readings at Mass are from the gospel of Mark. But pick up a gospel and ask yourself the question, look for how Jesus understands his existence only in relation to God the Father. Jesus understands his existence only in relation to God the Father. Everything Jesus has, everything he is, and the direction of his life is God the Father? Always. He's always every, when He makes decisions, right? When He chooses the twelve apostles, for instance, in Mark chapter three, He goes up to a mountain and He spends the entire night in prayer to God the Father, and then He calls Peter, James, and John, and he, out of the seventy disciples, He calls twelve apostles. Right, in Gethsemane, right, Jesus is fundamentally oriented to the Father. Right, not my will, but your will be done. Father, if it is possible, at this cup pass, but not as I will, as you will. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the apostles bring food for Jesus, and he says, I have food which you do not know. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. To be a Christian is to have an orientation. It's that I refuse to understand my life as my gifts and qualities, my accomplishments, my failures, my fears, my sin. That's not who I am. To be a Christian is fundamentally to have an orientation. It's that I live from someone else. My life can only make sense if you understand Christ. That I live from Him day by day, the meaning, the purpose, the direction of my life is not something I came up with, it was a gift given to me by the Son of God. That's Lent. That's conversion. I don't head my own way. I live my life from another. Origen has another great quote. I didn't put it on here. And he says, he said, blessed is the person who is ever born of God. And he says, this can be explained in reference to the Savior. So when we go to Mass on Sunday, and we say the Nicene Creed, uh, we talk about, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to get this wrong, because you know when you say it outside of Mass, it's a lot harder? <laughs> it's harder for me, too. In fact, I always, on Sundays, I get nervous, and I because the, the servers don't bring the book and hold it out for me, and you guys all stink, and you're not leading it, and I have to lead it, and I'm like, don't get this wrong. So I like really have to concentrate and like get it right. Uh, but I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary. Same, I'm getting it wrong already. Say that again. Born of the Father before, the Father before all ages. Begotten, not made. God from, God. I can't, whatever, I'm mixing two creeds. <laughs> this is awesome. This would be on our, um, what is that, like the outtakes clip? <laughs> but Origen says, there, there's a line in there where it's like, he's eternally begotten of the Father. Somewhere. Somebody said that. You know. <laughs> and so origin says that the Son is not begotten once. There's not like one moment in time where the Son flowed out of the Father. It happens eternally. And we believe that as Catholics. That eternally, the Son flow. His existence comes from the Father. And Origin says <laughs> sorry, I get this is my emotions coming out, but he says the same is true of you insofar as you live from the Son. That Jesus, that the Father, that the existence of the Son of God is that the Father continually empties himself, and that is the Son the Son is the outpouring of perfect love of God the Father. That's his existence. And so Jesus doesn't understand himself as having his own existence. He only understands himself in relation to God the Father. And that's how you're supposed to live. You... Do not have your own existence. You live from the Trinity, from the Son. That's conversion. Jesus, my whole life, and, I, and again, you know this about me, I feel at this every single day. But there's growth as I walk, and over the last 20 years of my Christian life, More and more, I'm learning slowly to understand my Christian life is not just when I do right or when I do wrong. That matters, but that's not fundamentally what it is. Fundamentally, it's coming to understand that my life only makes sense because I live from the Son of God. Everything I have flows from Him. Okay, I need to wrap up. I put a bunch of quotes from Peter on there and the reason I put that there we we didn't get to it because I'm long winded Peter, I just want you to see that Peter's life is an ongoing conversion it's an ongoing metanoia even after the resurrection I put on there Galatians 2 when Paul has to correct Peter. Because being a Christian means over and over again I have to convert. I have to have a metanoia. I have to think differently. My penances are not just about my car running more smoothly. My penance is that my heart has to remember what it means to be Brian Larkin. And what it means to be Brian Larkin is that everything I am and everything I have flows from God in love. And that's the purpose of my life. So, moral life, and this is where I wanted to get today, your moral life flows from that. It's not just that I want, you know, and you should want to live a more more moral life. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better friend. Those are all good things. But fundamentally, it's that I have understood that on the cross, and actually instead of doing a quote, and read those quotes. I I put on there, there's the old man and the new man. The Christian life is about surrendering your life. And so this is where we'll leave it. This is a good end. Why does Jesus die on the cross? There's a thousand answers to that. and, And you could answer that question in so many good ways. But one of them is that Just as I said, the Father pours everything into the Son. Jesus understands his life as being totally from the Father. Everything he is is oriented towards God the Father. And so Jesus, what he does not just on the cross, but what he has done eternally from before time began, is the Son pours his life back to the Father. Jesus' whole life, and this is, and brothers and sisters, this is where we get all the paradoxes of love. right? And this is built into your heart. When you love someone, what you naturally want to do is you want to lose your life for them. And when you fall in love with someone, you actually look forward to losing what you have And giving it to them. And the reason that you have that desire is because that's how the Trinity works. Love is a, a loss of self in giving everything you have to someone else. And so Jesus has been doing, has been giving his everything to the Father from all eternity. He loses himself in the Father. When he became man, that had consequences. (laughs) Before he united a human nature to himself, he's infinite, right? There's nothing, he he pours everything out, but he is continually filled. He's infinite. When he becomes a man, he has this human nature that doesn't do that. And so the natural thing that would happen to Jesus is that he would lose his life. So, the cross is not something that's an accident in the Christian life. We we can sometimes think of the cross as like it just, you know, something that just Jesus had to do, or sometimes you're going through a hard time. Lie. That is a lie from hell. The Christian life is the cross. The Christian life is I am oriented towards God, and what that means is I lose my life. I lose myself, I pour myself out. That's the Christian life. Your penance is, right? If your penance is about doing things better, you've missed the whole point. Your penance can only make sense if it directs you towards God. Lord, that I I want to deny that part of me, that battle inside of me. There's a battle in my heart that wants to make everything all about me. And I do penances to remind myself that a Christian life means denying my life to give it to another. That's what Lent is. And that gets us ready, right, for Holy Week, where Jesus will ultimately and in the most beautiful way lose his life for us okay beautiful things brothers and sisters I just will close with a prayer but I ask you today please uh, pray for the repose of the soul of Terry Book and for Father Matt and his family that they can find joy and peace and hope and faith in his death Um, but let's close with a prayer In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we bless you and praise you. Jesus, Lord, grant me and grant all of us here today real conversion. Lord, help me to change my mind and my heart so that I can know that my life is not about me, Lord, may my Christian life not just be about fixing one problem area or about doing one thing better. But Jesus, may my whole life be yours. May everything I have and everything I am find its goal in you. Bless all of us here today, Jesus, that we might enter into the mysteries of our redemption, I entrust them all to you, and we make our prayer through Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you very much, Father. We will be praying for the repose of the soul of Father Matt's. Uh,